Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. Tony Buck phoned and he phoned for Ian uh, and Ian was out and in those days we had no mobiles anything like that so he just started chatting um, and just asked if I played much and I said yeah I played for a local team around Congleton area where we grew up and I play for the South Cheshire and, and Cheshire as well. And it, and Skip just said, you know, if you want to come down to the next school holidays, come down and come in with Ian. Um, it was sort of getting established then. I was probably, I was probably 14, 15, 14 probably. Um, Ian would have been 17. Um, he did start his A-levels at school and then he turned down the apprenticeship, started his A-levels, but he lasted about three months. His art wasn't in his schoolwork, so... Uh, he went off and did his apprenticeship, and it, th- that's how it started. Really, I went down. Can't even remember the first time I went, but generally the younger players that that were playing for the the feeder teams went in school holidays um, just to get a taster, really, of stuff. Um, so that's how it all began for me. Went in, saw Tony Buck and, and Glyn Pardo, um, who were running the youth team, and it went from there. I started playing for. Um, a bloke called Mike Grimsley in Manchester around those leagues on a Sunday so there was a lot of travelling involved Uh, we'd meet at the post house on the M56 on Sunday morning and then we'd go off and play things and you know the team started off we normally had to change names every year it was one of them and and no because no one wanted them or us in the league (laughs) because you generally have some of the best lads around um, and you'd stroll the league uh, so you had to keep changing leagues and changing names and all sorts. But that's how it all began for me, and, and it went from there, really. Was it kind of comforting having Ian to, to, to kind of bounce off? Because, he, you know, he'd been there and, and, and kind of seen how the, the process works. It was, and, you know, it was very different then from, from what it is now. You know, I remember going training and you wouldn't speak to the first team. You know, and if... There was two dressing rooms, the first, the home team dressing room where the first team got changed and then the away team was generally the kids and the apprentices and and, and people like that and, and the young lads like ourselves who went in. And if you had to go in and get something, it was a horrendous moment. Um, you know, you'd have stuff thrown at you and, yeah, it was a bit of banter and that and, you know, I'm sure at times it did go a little bit too far. Um, but... You know, they were revered, the first team. Everyone looked up to them. Um, and us younger ones looked up to the apprentices because in, in some ways to us, they'd made the first rung on the ladder or the second rung as it probably was. Um, you know, they were just starting off. But even then, even at 16, you know, you could do two years and and at the end of it have nothing. Which is why Ian originally decided to do his A-levels. Mum and Dad... Um, wanted him to stay on education but as I say his heart was never in it and then I had that decision to make when I came to 16 
Um, and I did stay on at school um, and did my A-levels while others that were my age did the two-year YTS. What, uh, what pushed you towards that decision? Was it something that, uh, that, that just felt right at the time? It did. I, I, I like to think that I'm quite intelligent. Um, I saw a lot of lads that had started off and were doing big things at 12, 13, 14, you know, 15 playing for England schoolboys and captaining England schoolboys and and stuff like that. And, and, and then come 18, they didn't have a club. Um, so I, I wanted something to fall back on, really. Um, I got eight O-levels, as they were then, which was the maximum we could take, and I passed them quite nicely. Um, and decided to do my A-levels, uh, stayed on at school, sixth form, applied to go to Loughborough University, um, and then to do a sports science course. Um, and then I thought, well, I'll see how it goes, and, and if I don't get offered a pro contract at, at City, great, I've got something else. If I do, you know, fantastic, let's go from there. But it was a funny situation, because I remember it still now, the I was at school down the road, so I used to train and um, we'd have, I don't know, 10 periods a week where we were studying the three A-levels I was doing. And apart from that, you had a lot of free time for revision and stuff. So I used to go out and train on my own, uh, train with my dad, who was obviously with the athletic background. Um, and I trained really hard. And then I'd go in on a Saturday morning, normally play a team game or something like that. Um, and the lads that were doing the full-time YTS, I remember the first year of the YTS, they got £27.50 a week. Um, you know, when you think about the money now. <laughs> but they got £27.50 a week. The accommodation was paid for, fair enough. But City came up with a semi-pro contract for me where they would pay me £25 a week just for playing on a Saturday and then I get expenses on a Saturday as well. So I couldn't believe my luck. You know, I was only earning £2.50 a week less than the lads that were going in every day. I didn't have to clean boots, didn't have to clean the bath and the toilets and all sorts and have Skip and Tony Buck, you know, shouting all the time and stuff like that. Um, so I couldn't believe me luck. All my mates had paper rounds or bar jobs and stuff like that and I was getting paid, not for nothing, but <clears throat> for just enjoying myself, really. Um, so as I say, I'd turn up and school holidays would go in and train as usual with the apprentices and and then I'd play games. There was just the first team reserves and A team then. So I'd play an A team game on a Saturday. Um, and then if you did all right, you might get in the squad for a reserve team game. Now, we've got a lot of listeners all over the world. Um, just to kind of put it into, into context, Congleton to Platte Lane isn't a, isn't a short journey. Um, how, how, I mean, how, how do you go through getting that distance at that age? Well, when it was possible, um, mum and dad were brilliant. You know, when it was possible, they would take me in. Um, but by this stage, Ian was sort of playing a few first team games. So sometimes they'd split and one would come and watch me and, and one would go and watch Ian. Or sometimes they'd go and watch Ian and I'd have to get the train. Now, Congleton's, you know, probably 35,000 people, uh, smallish town, probably 25 miles south of Manchester. And the trains are not the best, shall we say. Um, there is a direct line to Piccadilly, but they they run every hour and, you know, an occasional one gets cancelled and stuff like that. So I'd have to plan it. Um, I'd bike up to the station, um, 
and then I'd, I'd lead me bike up there somewhere and then the plan was get the train into Piccadilly uh, and then get a bus I can't even remember what number it was it's a 73 bus or whatever from Piccadilly to Black Lane but more than once you know I'd have my suit on and my, or my jacket and tie and and my trousers and uh, more than once the bus didn't turn up now Tony Buck and Glimpardo were not ones for turning up late so more on more than one occasion before an A-team game which kicked off at 11 o'clock in the morning I would find myself running to Platt Lane with my boots in my hand shin pads in my hand and I'd run I don't know how far it's probably a couple of miles two and a half miles so I'd turn up sweaty and roasting out and they would wonder what's going on and invariably someone had passed me on Platt Lane about 50 yards from the thing I said oh if you'd have told me I would have given you a lift but um, no that was how we did it uh, it's not as I say nothing's like what it is now but you know players wouldn't, wouldn't dream of doing that but I was 16 or whatever 17 16 probably um, and you know it wasn't a chore to me it was just a means of getting to watch a football match on, uh, getting to play a football match and then probably hopefully watch the first team game on a Saturday how did you end up making that step up then to, towards the first team? I did all right. I actually went. I, I played sort of midfield, attacking midfield player. I was really, um, or centre forward, uh, and I did all right. We had a decent youth team at that time. Uh, people coming through, and I actually played a year or two years below my age. So when I first got in and played a couple of U-team games, or was involved with the U-team, there was still Andy Hinchcliffe and, and Paul Lake from the, the team that won it a couple of years earlier. Um, they were at the top age of the age group. Um, and then there was a group below that uh, who would have been a year older than me, which none of them actually went on, I don't think, to, to get in the first team. And, and then... The people that were my age were sort of Ashley Ward, Neil Lennon, Michael Hughes, um, Jerry Taggart. So there's a few that went on to have decent careers in the game. Um, and it was just one I did all right in an A-team game. Uh, and they just said, right, involved in a U-team game. And uh, played a couple of U-team games when somebody was injured. Uh, did okay and just stayed around the squad really. I think we got to the semi-finals that year and lost to a, a really good um, Coventry team over two legs. But, the, you know, it was great to have the older... Andy Inchcliffe was in and out, really, because when he was sort of 16, 17, um, he had a lot of problems with his back. You know, he, he spent a long period out, probably nine to 12 months out with his back. So he was sort of coming back from that. But Lakey was the... Paul Lake was the, was the top man. And... He was one of them players that if you ever had him in your team, you thought, you know, you'd have a chance of winning any game, whether it be a U team game or a first team game. And he'd play a different position every week, and you wouldn't know that he wasn't his position. And and people would probably say now, still not sure what what his best position was. I know Howard Kendall thought he was going to be a great centre half, and and unfortunately that's where Lakey got injured. But um, we did all right, and it, and it just went from there really. Uh, the following season. Did okay again. Uh, I had to have an ankle operation after playing a few of the early youth team games. Uh, they got to the final that year and lost to Watford. Um, a lad who was going to be the next big thing called Rob Thomas. 
um, beat teams on his own in them days really so it, it was good experience uh, and then from that come 18 I'd finished my A-levels and then I was fortunate enough to be offered uh, a one year pro and that's how it started really and it, came, it all came about at, uh, at Wimbledon as well you can't, can't really ask for uh, <laughs> more baptism of fire than that can you? No I signed a, a year pro and as I say did okay um, signed another year after that so it would have been 1920 by then uh, and I'd had a couple of sessions involved around the first team um, Jimmy Fizell and, and I think I did one with Billy McNeil um, and then Howard Kendall came and oh Mel Machin sorry sort of kept me around the first day oh you know I certainly wasn't trained any day but every day by any means but you know occasionally get you in give you a bit of experience and stuff like that and then when Howard came became more involved uh, we had a testimony a couple of testimonials one for Nat Lofthouse at Bolton uh, the old Burnden Park and and just introduced me into the thing like that really into the first team fray because it, it is very different especially when you're a young lad and there's you know experienced players and decent players there um, so it started from there um, I never played a game under Howard for the first team as I say played a few testimonials and then Reedy came or took over when Howard left um, put me on the bench a few times you know I think I was first on the bench at Port Vale in the FA Cup um, and I couldn't believe it you know I was surprised it's only eight nine miles down the road and I couldn't believe it when they said oh you're travelling with the first team and you know there's people like Clive Allen in the squad and, and, and people like that internationals and this I mean this is back in the day when you didn't have five or seven subs on the bench no there, there was two probably I don't even think there were three then I think there was two um, somebody must have been I think Keith Curl or, or someone like that Brian Gale or somebody um, was having a fitness test so they wanted to keep somebody on the bench uh, so I turned up at the Stackies Hotel in Hanley and and they said oh you're rooming with Clive Allen I thought oh great you know England International and it'd be great that. and everyone was sniggering I thought what are they sniggering at so come half past ten when Clive fell asleep and proceeded to spend the next ten hours snoring I realised what everyone was laughing at um, I didn't get a great night's sleep I was nervous anyway because <laughs> there was a chance I'd be on the bench or whatever and, and Clive didn't help me we used to have a laugh about that because I've seen him at a few things since um, and then Reedy announced the, the team and the subs and and I was lucky enough to be on the bench I was probably on £200 a week at the time and I was on the bench didn't get on but I got £150 appearance money and £500 win bonus so I couldn't believe my luck. Um, it's a little bit different, as I say, from today. But that was my first experience of of you know first team football as such. Uh, then I went out out on loan. I think really wanted to toughen me up a bit. I went to Chester on loan for a month. They used to play at uh, to Macclesfield Town. They were playing then, um, and it actually made me league debut against Cambridge. And it was the John Beck Cambridge team with Dion Dublin and. Uh, John Taylor up front and you know there was a few players come out of that team that, that did well for themselves but uh, I went there for a month and with Harry McNally I don't know if you remember Harry, Harry McNally he was 
mad mad as a box of frogs as people would say but it, it taught me that side of it and it was third division at the time um, and you know I came back from there a little bit more streetwise and 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 went from there really um, I had a few appearances on the bench where I never got on and then as you say the Wimbledon was the baptism of fire well I mean what's it like to come on in, in kind of that, that situation because you know they they were they were renowned as being a really tough team to play against, especially on their own patch. They were bullies, you know, as simple as that. Really, um, you'd turn up before the game, uh, you'd walk past the dressing room. You know, you'd be in your suits. We'd stay at a hotel the night before. You'd walk past the dressing room, and fashion who generally had bit the door somewhere in vision in just his underwear, all oiled up flexing his muscles the ghetto blaster would be blaring out and um, and they, they they tried to intimidate you really um, and you know they had a lot of teams beat before we even started the game really uh, we played the first half and Peter Reid wasn't happy with a couple of things in defensive positions at the time uh, I think he thought we lacked a, a little bit of height in, especially in the centre of defence and we were two nil down at half time, I think. So we just come in the dressing room and really walked in the shower, spoke to Sam Ellis briefly, came back in and said, "Sticks was my nickname because tall and thin. Uh, Sticks, you're on. Redo, Steve Redmond, you're off." So, you know, I was surprised. Uh, Redo had been there quite a few years, and and he, you know, he's club captain at 19 or whatever, done brilliant. Um, but really was looking for something a little bit different and I came on um, so I didn't really have a chance to be nervous that's probably the best thing about it you know I, I was just told and then you're going on and that's it you know I'd have a quick warm up straight out to do a warm up and then and then I was on so those days they used to take the centre pass it back to Vinnie Jones Vinnie Jones would larrup it 60 yards up and fashion would start on the right halfway line right on the touch line and he'd try and win the header so it come over, Vinnie Jones whacked it over, Fashioner went for the head and I beat him and headed it out for throwing. So was nodding his head a little bit. So long throw comes down the line and I beat him again. And he said, right, that's it, you and me, big man. And from then, the next one, I got a trailing arm from somewhere. They were very sneaky how they did it. Um, he beat me on that header and then I got an arm... A little bit late, should we say? Uh, it wasn't an elbow, um, but that was the way they played. Uh, they had a great few seasons doing it. They won the FA Cup doing it, um, and they could play as well. You know, you look you looked at that team, and, and you know Keith Curl started off there. We we paid two and a half million for Terry Phelan. We paid two and a half million for John Scales. Went to Liverpool for three million. Vinnie Jones went to Leeds and then Chelsea and. Um, you know, they fashion went on to Villa. Dean Oldsworth did well at Bolton. They were tough lads. They were. And when they started off especially, they'd come from that non-league mentality. Uh, everything's a scrap against the big boys. They were playing at Sellers Park. Uh, it wasn't Plough Lane then. It was Sellers Park. But they had, they did have a lot of teams. In, you know, I know Liverpool always hated playing them and... And, and stuff like that because Liverpool liked to play the football and they weren't allowed to do it against them so it was great to make my debut and it, it couldn't have been a tougher game really but it, it went okay 
Now, Peter Reid, as a player manager, you don't really see the player manager role anymore. Um, what was it like having having sort of like one of the lads as the as the boss? I think, in I don't think you could do it now. To be honest, I think I think you'd struggle. Um, you might be able to do it in the maybe first or second divisions. I think there might be one or two down there, but. It is difficult. Reedy did it really well because uh, when he came in, he was the he was the go-to man. Obviously, Howard was in charge. Reedy was number two, um, and Reedy was the go-to man if you had a problem, and then he would, you know, speak to Howard or or sort it out. But when you manage, you know, you've got to step back a little bit. Reedy would come out for the drink with us when he was a player and stuff like that. Um, but when you're the manager, you've obviously got to step back from it. But Reedy did it well. You know he, he could he could be one of the lads, um, but then he was also tough when he needed to be, and everyone knew what the situation was. You know he wasn't your mate anymore. He was the manager at the end of the day, but you could have a laugh with him, um, and and then there'd be a line that you didn't cross, and you would be well aware of where that line was, and you wouldn't cross it else. You know you'd have the consequences as if he was just the manager, and that that was it. Um, with everything that goes on now, you know the, the managers used to do everything. Then they used to do the contracts, and uh, I know Bernard Halford used to sit in and, and do stuff as well. But the, generally, the managers would do that. Not that many people had agents. Few of the top top echelons of players did, but um, but we we used to really go in and sort your own deal out. But the manager would do the training and the, the contracts, and uh, you know a lot of that stuff's taken away from them now. Um, but I can't see generally the, the managers are older now as well you know they're more experienced um, a lot of them are foreign so I, I can't I can't really think of anyone that would, would make that transition and the players get paid so much now they want to play as long as possible before they even think about coaching whereas in our day if you were 30 31 and and you weren't playing games regularly people would look to do something else would look to maybe move on uh, and start a a managing role early maybe with the player if they could combine it too I know Steve McMahon left City and went to Swindon as player manager but I I can't see it happening now I just I just can't see how how they do it Um, and a lot of the players are foreign now and they probably just go home when they're finished What impact did um, Sam Ellis have on your career? Sam gets a lot of stick, or got a lot of stick, a lot of stick from the City fans. Um, but I think he saw something in me that was similar to himself, really. He was a big centre-half. Um, tough lad, Sam was. And I think he, he wanted to sort of mould me a little bit uh, in in his style. Sam was a proper old-fashioned, no-nonsense centre-half. Um, there's not not any about, really, now. You know, sort of Sam Allardyce and, and Sam Ellis and um, people like that. They probably admit themselves, you know, they weren't the best on the ball, um, but they were good defenders, solid, and they'd give it to somebody who was a better player than them. But Sam had a big influence on me. He he, he spent a lot of time with me, helped me out doing stuff, um, stuff, general defending, uh, heading, you know, position-wise as well, uh, he wasn't the quickest, Sam. So I think 
he'd had to adapt himself positionally, so he was very aware of of decent positions to be in. Um, I know that everyone levels it on me, oh, I was slow or whatever, and I wasn't that slow. I was one of them that you know, because I'm tall, it took me a little bit to get going, and once I got going, I was I was average speed really. But um, I think he saw, as I say, he saw something in me me that he could work on. He uh, was a no nonsense. Get it out. You know, if you're in any doubt, get it out. Don't mess around with it. Don't lose it. You know, Keith Curl's there. Curly's half decent on the ball. He's very quick. You go and win the headers. You go and win the tackles. Uh, Curly will be behind you if you miss anything. Um, and he used to love it when he said, if I ever kicked it over the main stand at City, give me a tenner in a game, in a first team game. Um I think I might have managed it once or something in the last minute when we're 2-0 up or something. And he loved it, stuff like that, Sam. Because, you know, that's the way he was. He was a defender. He just wanted to defend. And a 1-0 and a to him was the best result you could possibly get. He loved it. What was your reaction when Peter Reid was sacked? We were all amazed. Um, I think we'd been sixth, fifth, fifth and sixth or something like that. It was just a strange start to the season. Um, I think the game I think he got sacked after the Blackburn game we played Blackburn at Main Road um, I've come on a sub in the second half I think for the last half hour 40 minutes something like that someone got injured and it, I remember the game because Alan Shearer was making his comeback so he came on a sub as well but I think we lost 2-0 um, I think we it was the third or fourth game of the season I think we'd drawn a couple and lost a couple after that game and it was just it was just strange. There was something going on, but you couldn't put your finger on on what it was. Um, Peter Swales had bought in John Maddox. I don't know if anyone remembers him. As his sort of... I don't know what you'd call him. General manager. Um, nobody knew him. Nobody knew of him. Nobody knew what he was there for or anything, really. Um, but supposedly he was the one that looked at the club and found out that Reedy was the problem and he was the one that sacked Reedy now you know I know the the fans at that point had had, had enough of Mr Swales and, and wanted a change so whether Mr Swales thought that bringing someone else in to do I suppose you'd say the dirty work um, the fans would think that it wasn't him involved in any way I don't, I don't know but it, it it was just very unsettling at that time Um so Reedy got sacked either the night of that game or the day after. Uh, I think we had the day off after the game. And then we came in and no one really knew what was happening. A um, few names were mentioned. Uh, and then this rumour started going on that Brian Horton had got the job. How did it differ under Brian Horton to, to, to Peter Reid? Well, I remember when we, we had a midweek game I think that must have been the Saturday the, or, or might have been the other way around the, the Blackburn game was a midweek game and we had a few days and then we had a game and I think Skip might have been in charge for one game on a temporary basis and I think we played Wimbledon or someone like that Coventry and it, it was a nil-nil and it was the worst game ever you know it was very flat no one really knew what was going on um, I was sub for that game and then afterwards we got told that Brian Horton had got the job and I think initially 
from a lot of the players that it was sort of Brian who you know I I hadn't come across him in my career um, and I know quite a few of the lads hadn't one or two had I think uh, I think the fans were sort of the same it's a little bit different now because you know obviously the Premier League's massive and the, and the Championship's massive but you, you, you get a first and second division games now on telly um, there's roundup shows and stuff like that so you know quite a lot of the managers that are around but in those days you know he come from Oxford and, and they want a lot of publicity for, for clubs lower down so we didn't really know anything about him um, he came in and he brought David Moss with him um, I think Dibs was there and Dibs knew him from Luton days so Dibs told us a little bit about him um, and Brian was great he was great for me um, I played most of my games under him he he was one of these that he could be the nicest man in the world one minute and and then he could be throwing teacups the next but he he did it all you know at the right time and you know he wasn't just doing it for effect and stuff like that uh, David Moss who was a he was still a decent player, Mossy. He was, he was first team coach, and he was again the person that you'd go to if you had any problems or anything like that. Lovely bloke, um, great crosser of the ball, the best crosser of the ball I have ever seen. We used to do training sessions, and Rick Holden and Peter Beagry, and they'd be putting balls in and that. But there was no one better, David Moss, either foot. He was unbelievable. Um, so Brian come in. And we we were in a spot of bother at the time. Confidence was a little bit low, and but he brought some players in that that were brilliant for for us as a team and for the club in general. You know, um, we had a tough time at first, and we were struggling. And then he brought in uh, Peter Beagery, Paul Walsh, and Uve, uh, a couple of others. Uh, Maurizio Gaudino come in as well, and didn't do so well. But those three in particular. You know, Beeks, Walshy and, and Uwe were fantastic and, and that was the difference in the end between us staying up um, and going down and I think his first season he you know he kept us up and I think he was a little bit harshly done to in the end because he sort of knew with five or six games to go in the in the second season that you know he wasn't going to he wasn't going to last um, by that time Francis Lee had come in as well um, you know new chairman come in and, and they want their own manager but on the resources that we had and and, and at that time we'd done alright uh, Brian had done a good job and he, we were probably about where we should be what um, what effect does it have on a dressing room to have all that disruption behind the scenes uh, it's difficult you know, uh, everyone comes out on telly, and we were all saying it when we got interviewed at the time. You know, the, our job is to do it on the pitch, and and you, you know, it's not for us to decide who the next manager is going to be and stuff like that. But but it is difficult. You know, when you go out on the pitch, you, I'm not necessarily saying you're thinking about that, but but the times in between, you're wondering who's going to come in. Um, am I going to know him? Is he going to fancy me as a player? Am I going to be out on my ear? Um, and that's just with, from the manager's side of it. You know, obviously with the boardroom upheaval as well, that was going on for a few weeks where Franny was going to take over and then it was off and it was on and it was off and, and then it came in and it was all balloons and 
um, everything's going to be great now and but it was a difficult time as well because it was changing it become the Premier League and and the money was all changing and there were all the things there was a lot of stuff going on off the pitch at that time you know there were talk of strikes over from the PFA over over stuff to do with the TV monies and uh, what their share of it were. it was a you know you look at the Premier League now and it's been going 25 years whatever it is and it, it's all bedded in and it you know some people might not agree with certain things that the differences in you know not playing three o'clock Saturday games and they play Monday nights and Friday nights and Sunday afternoons and but you can't argue with with what the product that Sky have bought has been fantastic. But at that stage when it first came in, everyone was a little bit sceptical of it. Once sure how it was going to go, um, and it, it was a very unsettling time at at the club, and it it wasn't a settled club anyway, and it hadn't been for you. You know, I remember. There were times when, oh, we're on the verge of bankruptcy and and we owed five million quid or something. Well, five million quid now. You know, clubs owe 500 million quid now and no one bats an eyelid because, you know, they've got the revenue streams and, and stuff like that. But five million, cool, that was the end of the world. Club's going to go to the wall and might not last another season and we'll have to sell people. And, you know, the times have changed massively. But, you know, getting back to your question, it, it was a difficult time. Um, on and off the pitch, yeah. How did the move away come about at City? Um, it wasn't really a choice of mine. Alan Ball came in. Um, he had his own ideas and he pretty much made his mind up during pre-season about quite a few of us, really. Um, I don't really know... <sighs> I thought it wasn't handled right by by him at the time and I was a bit bitter towards it. I didn't want to go. Um, But I saw him, Ian and myself did a a thing in Hong Kong, um, an ex-pros over 35s thing about, probably we did the first one 10 years ago and and, um, we did it for five years and one of the years he was the guest speaker. Uh, And Ian got on really well with him and and I was a bit standoffish because I think he knew that I didn't like what had gone on. And, and we sat down and we had a beer and we chatted for a couple of hours and he he went through stuff with me. And, you know, I'm glad I did that before he sadly passed because, you know, I always thought it was his fault. But when I, after speaking to him, his hands were tired a little bit. Now, I wasn't by any means one of the big earners, so he wasn't necessarily saying he got rid of me the money because my wages because that certainly wasn't the case but I think there were a few that he he, he felt that he had to get rid of um, and a lot of people left that had been good players for the club you know um, Keith Curl left Niall Quinn left um, Walsh got swapped for Jerry Craney um, Beegs moved on and Uwe you know moved on as well and, and it it was difficult for him, you know. The players he brought in, you know, he obviously brought in with the best of intentions, but the players we brought in probably weren't as good as the players we got rid of. Um, you know, Niall, Niall had had his knee injury, and I don't know if, if Bawley thought that he was probably past his death best, but if you look at him at Sunderland, he went on to have five or six great more years. Um, 
uh, and people moved on. Terry Phelan was another one uh, who moved on, went to Chelsea, I think. So it it wasn't the way that I wanted to leave. Um, I went on loan at Stoke in probably the September October time uh, with Lou Macari. Had a decent month there, um, but the clubs couldn't agree a fee or whatever. And then and then I went ended up going to I knew Gary Megson from when he was at City. And he was assistant to Chris Kamara at Bradford. So I went for a sort of trial game, bit of training, uh, played in a reserve game for Bradford. Did well. Um, spoke to Gary Megson afterwards and Maggie said, oh yeah, we want you here. And sorted out a deal and then I signed and then Mego went to Blackpool the day after, I think, which was one of the reasons why I'd gone was because was he was there. Um, but... You know, spent 18 months at Bradford then and we got promoted. So um, I wasn't how I wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave. But that's football, unfortunately. And now these days, um, you've, you, you're kind of in a... It's a completely different world as, uh, as part of the fire service. <laughs> it is different in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, but, you know, there's the same ethic. Team spirit, the, the banter you have... Um, is similar to a dressing room and I know a lot of people say that when they when they stop playing football that's what they miss um, I was actually at Darlington uh, under George Reynolds who was the notorious safe cracker who took over at Darlington and spent a few quid on him uh, signed for Darlington I was there 18 months um, I was probably 31 at the time and I'd just had enough really uh, I was living in Carlisle because I'd played at Carlisle uh, travelling over to Darlington every day which is hour and 20 minutes hour and a half and then there was from Darlington there was away trips at Plymouth Exeter Torquay um, Gilling you know miles trips that were miles away 8 10 hour trips and and I'd just had enough I'd fallen out of love with the game a bit um, ITV had taken over or, or whatever it was at the time and we're doing the the Championship first and second division, and they put a bit of money in initially, and then Santan Santan Satanta Sports, it was, I think. They put a bit of money in, and then that went. So, you know, you're getting offered a couple of year here and a year there, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to do something eventually. Um, what's the point in dragging round from 31 to 35? And I left football. I had a, a year's contract offer at Darlington on the same money, and I thought. You know, I've had enough. Um, I didn't have anything to go to. I went and worked with a mate uh, who was a plumber. Just did some labouring for him, and and I, to be honest, I enjoyed the freedom of it. You know, I could do what I wanted when I wanted. I'd had fourteen years by then, thirteen, fourteen years of pre-seasons, and then from so from July third or fourth, whenever we'd start back till the second week in May. Um, you know, your time was depicted by what what the club wanted you to do. Really, you know, I couldn't go away for a night, or or you know, we train when we were told and stuff like that. And it is a great life. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that at all. And people are say, "Oh, don't be so stupid," and you know, it's the best job in the world, and it is a great job. But it it is a job, same as you do everything else. Um, if you do it every day, it's a job. Uh, you get paid great money for doing it. You know, even then, we got paid. 
nothing like what they get paid now, but we got a very good living we made from, from doing it. But we'd go to an Oasis concert or something and Liam Gallagher would be there on the floor bowing at players. Oh, we'll swap with you any day. And we'd be like, you're joking, aren't you? Rather do what you do. Oh, no, no. And it's one of them things, if you do it every day, there's always something else you'd prefer to do. Um, but I, I loved being able to do what I wanted when I wanted I could go away with the wife when I wanted or, or go away with the lads um, I hadn't had a Christmas for 13, 14 years and bank holidays and our busiest times for games were when everyone else was enjoying themselves so I I loved that side of it um, and I never looked back really I applied for the fire service uh, luckily enough I got in first time so I've been doing that 15 years now how does it? I mean, how how does it compare to the adrenaline rush of of maybe running out at Main Road? Um, similar in some ways. Um, you know, I, I used to get a little bit nervous, quite nervous. I'd sleep well before a game, um, but then I, I would be a bit nervous on the morning of a game. Um, you know, I, I normally wanted something to happen early that would, you know, settle me down, a good pass or or, or whatever. Uh, but there was nerves before and and now we get a job and it'll come through on a printer and it'll say house fire I don't know 25 Smith Road Congleton or whatever it is and straight away your mind starts thinking what is it you know is it going to be something is it not is there anyone inside so it is similar you, you know you, you get sort of butterflies in your stomach or or Nerves, I suppose, in some ways. What am I going to find? Is it going to be a proper job or not? And it is, it is similar. Um, all you do really is revert to what you're trained to do. Same as football, really. You know, you know, you revert to what you know, and, and you've been doing it that long, and and disciplined and, and trained hard to get in that position. And it's the same as what we do now. You know what to do. You know what procedures to follow. Um, and you, you take it as you see it, just as you would a game, really. 